We start a new series tonight. It'll run five, six-ish weeks, all right? I'm calling it when you only have time for one verse. Each Sunday night is going to deal with basically one verse of Scripture that we're going to study together. This first study, the very first brotherhood that I did, I worked with this text, and you need to know because there was a pretty good bunch of guys, and I asked them, I said, I'd like to do this on a Sunday setting. Do you mind if I repeat some of the ideas? It's not exactly the same, but it's the same text and the same dominant theme. I said, because it'll be a repeat for you guys. Are you okay with that? And we actually took a vote, and one person said, no, it wasn't okay, but everyone else in the room said that it was all right. <laughs> So he's sitting over there. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm not going to mention any names, Mark. But we're going to, when you only have time for one verse, I want to talk to you about a good heart with renewed spiritual strength. A good heart with renewed spiritual strength. The text You might not know the context, you might not even know the whole verse, but you surely do know this phrase. You probably know it best in the King James. Psalm 103, verse 5, who satisfies you, this is what God does, okay? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. It's not an age thing that's being talked about here. It's a condition of the heart. Who satisfies you with good. Now, it might not be your definition of good or what you would view as being your best good at that moment, but God's definition. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There's a great logic in that little phrase. It, it talks about a life that is kept, rejuvenated, young. I'm going to use that word because it uses that word in the text. A life kept young by the power of uh, inner satisfaction, who satisfies you with good. So a life kept young by the power of inner satisfaction rather than by the turning back of the clock. That is hard to do, the turning back of the clock. For all of us, our days only go in in one direction. You can hearken back in your mind to an earlier age, but you can't take your body with you when you do that. The direction of our days never changes. In fact, there's that famous phrase from the Psalms where the writer tells us that a large part of living life wisely and righteously is calculating roughly how many days do you have left. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days. It's not how many days you've lived. It's how many days you have yet to go. And the text says that's not morbid. It helps you if at least once in a while you sit down and you say, okay, so you're 
70 years old. And like my old illustration, if you're driving from here down to Fairview Mall, you're already close to Finch. And there's not a lot to go. And so we're supposed to calculate that. But if it's true, our years can't be turned back. Our text has good news. The Psalm 103 text has good news because it says you can keep your heart from just wearing out and growing weary. It's a more common problem than a lot of people think. How many times have you had someone come up to you and say, my, he's certainly aged over the last year? And what you don't realize is other people saying exactly the same thing about you. That's, that's what happens. Boy, he seems to be growing old before his time. Now, of course, at times there are obvious reasons. Sometimes there's obvious physical reasons for that occurrence. But that's not what our text is talking about. It's not writing about that. The common explanation for that kind of weariness in our culture is that the person is gradually or suddenly becoming a victim of overwork or stress. Uh, life has been difficult. Even though the years haven't piled up any faster for one person than another, we all age at exactly the same rate. The toll of those years has been greater on some due to the kind of burden that they carry. And there's some truth to that. Even the Apostle Paul, he argued and recognized that life can be a seasonal thing. We all know what it's like to be in season or out of season, depending on the kind of circumstances we're facing. Usually circumstances come in bunches. I've often noticed that in my own life. If it worked out that here are the 186 problems that you're going to face in the next year, and if you could just do problem A, finish that, and then B would come, right? And then you'd finish that, and then C should. That's the way it ought to be, but it doesn't. 17 things come Monday, and they leave you kind of scrambling, finding your way, overwhelmed a little bit. So life isn't always easy for sure, but I do think there's some encouragement in this text. One, here are some principles. The issue of renewed youth, let's talk about it that way because that's what the text does. The issue of renewed youth is found in inner satisfaction with God, not in ease of circumstance. Look at it again. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Who satisfies? The issue is satisfaction here. Satisfaction, the psalmist says, brings a kind of inner youthfulness, an inner rejuvenation. This is, this is how the heart can be kept fresh. And so you start to see, by contrast, you start to see how people find life grinding old too quickly. And one of the reasons, at least according to the psalmist, is it's easy to fail to find deepest satisfaction in God. Or, put it a little differently, it's easy to try and find satisfaction in the wrong things. Now think, think carefully about this for a minute. 
it has the potential, I think, to freshen a lot of lives. The psalmist had never been to a psychiatrist, nothing wrong with that, or a therapist, nothing wrong with that. He had probably never read the one-minute manager. But he tells all of us, here we are in this fast-paced, busy world, that we're in danger of missing the most important thing we can know. He tells us, here it is, there may be a lot of reasons people weary and age quicker than they ought. But he tells us that people don't wear out primarily from too much stress, but from too little nourishment. And that's not the same thing. It's not primarily a matter of too much stress. It's primarily a matter of too little nourishment. Of course, this kind of spiritual leanness isn't visible to anybody else. Nobody can see it on the outside, which is why we usually just blame the hectic pace of life or stress. Outsiders can easily place the root of my problem in difficult circumstances. But there's another explanation found in the Scriptures. It's in that text that we're studying tonight, but it's in others. Here's Paul, 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, so outer self, inner self. I'm talking about staying young at heart, inner self. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's, it's quite a thing. There's this contrast in Paul's words, and there's a paradox, I think, that we're meant to study. Our outer self is wasting away. That's Paul's way of telling us, as we read this years later, Paul did not have an easy life. That's what he's trying to say. He had a horrible life in terms of physical circumstances, rougher than any of us can imagine. That's Paul's way of saying, the outer self, it's, it, I've been really beaten up by life. That's what Paul says. Most of it just for trying to take the gospel to people. But he says there's something else that's going on at the same time. So we know now that he's not just talking about circumstances because he says those have been brutal. But in here, he says, there's been this renewing. It happens, he says, daily. So in other words, the picture Paul is painting and our text in the Psalms, the biblical answer to the natural downdrag of external circumstances is remembering people don't wear out nearly as often as they starve from some kind of spiritual malnourishment. The psalmist is trying to tell us that while life certainly can be fast, crammed, trying, painful, difficult, this is not the sole determining factor in keeping a vibrant inner life. So the issue, here's the principle again. Let me say it before we move on to the next one. The issue of spiritual youth, inward rejuvenation, is found in an inner satisfaction with God rather than an ease of life and circumstance. But there's more. I'm not leaving it right there. Point number two. 
Here's a spiritual law. People grow old before their time when they confuse pleasure with joy. We like pleasures. Uh, there's a delight in them. Pleasures feel good. In fact, that's why we call them pleasures. Joy, on the other hand, is more rooted in satisfaction. Satisfaction is different from pleasure. Satisfaction is more than good feeling. Satisfaction, it's completing something in your being. Satisfaction is more like nourishment than mere pleasantness. That, that kind of cuts to the heart of what's on the psalmist's mind in our text. He, he, he calls me not only to happiness in circumstance, it's not wrong, but I'm not going to be able to sustain it, but he calls me to satisfaction in God. And, and the lesson, satisfaction can only be found in God. You can't find sustained satisfaction in pleasure. I got a new car about a week ago. Every decade or so, I get a new car. The very first time I drove it off the lot, it's incredibly exciting when you only do it about once a decade. I just realized, you know, drove up to church tonight, and I just realized when I got out of the car, I wasn't even thinking about it anymore. That's how long pleasures last. Before the new car smell is gone, you realize this doesn't change your life one bit. Not one bit. This is the psalmist's lesson, who satisfies. He uses that word. I'm not just using it in a teaching. That's his word. Who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Satisfaction will only be found in God. You can't find sustained satisfaction in pleasure. They're temporary. They're not the same as... Here's satisfaction. You prepare a table for me, the psalmist says. Do you see the nourishment picture? A table spread. A, a, a feeding this is what God brings to the life that no mere pleasure can. In fact, in fact, the Bible frequently teaches, whether we like it or not, that the pursuit of certain pleasures can become the biggest enemy of finding satisfaction in God. You know this parable. And he said to him that he is Jesus, Luke 14 16 to 20. Once a man gave a great banquet and invited many. You know how this story goes. You remember that great hymn in the church? I cannot come to the banquet. Yeah. Gave a banquet, invited many, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is ready. It's a banquet with nourishment. That's what you have at a banquet. A meal, nourishment satisfaction of hunger. That's the picture here. That's what these people are invited to. Come, everything is ready. 18, but they all began to make excuse. The first said to him, I bought a field. 
I have to go see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Maybe she said he couldn't go out. Now, here's, here's what I want you to get here. We're talking about satisfaction and how pleasures can get in the way of satisfaction in God. The picture in this parable is that of a banquet, the feeding, the nourishing of inner life, okay? And the excuses that the people make. That's what Jesus is trying to talk about. He's not talking about physical food. He's talking about himself. Now, with all the sinister work of the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, baring his teeth, seeking whom he may devour. What is it that finally keeps people from satisfaction at the table of God? Well, a piece of land, a pair of oxen, family. Jesus says, there. That's how people miss satisfaction in God. They miss the best by the apparent demand of the urgent and the good. They confuse a zest for sheer material, visible, domestic accomplishment with satisfaction in the invitation of God. This, this, this is the invisible idolatry, rarely perceived as wicked, that, that will age you before your time. No wonder the prophets constantly came to people and told them, please reevaluate how you're living. Now, they put it in their words, not those. But, but look at Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Is that in your notes? Come, everyone who thirsts. Okay, satisfaction is what we're going to be talking about here. Quenching of thirst. Come to the waters, he who has no money. Come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. This isn't something you can materially get your hands on. Why? Here's the question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, Don? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy, Don? Listen to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. He's not talking now about pastries. He's talking about God. God says, why do you go all over the place? I can bring you satisfaction. Notice two things here. Notice first the repetition of the phrases, without money, without price. This is, this is the Spirit of God's way of distinguishing between what seems the most natural way of revealing earthly security and accomplishment and comparing that to the greater satisfaction that can be found only in God himself. Leads to the second point from this text. Look at those questions. They're repeated for emphasis in the second verse. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Question mark. Why indeed? Like, what makes this happen so repeatedly? 
going to look at that question. Don't just shuffle off those words to some group of backslidden Jewish idolaters in 600 BC. These words are the Spirit's constant call to people like us, seeking satisfaction, seeking life, inner youth and rejuvenation, who satisfies you with good things so your youth is renewed like the eagles. There is the invitation to joy. So three, this is measurable. You measure your satisfaction in God, everyone in this room, the worship team will come out here in a little bit, and you're going to sing songs, and we're going to close our eyes and raise our hands, and we'll tell Jesus how much we love him, right? That's good. Nothing wrong with doing that. How do you measure it? You measure your satisfaction in God by the loss of urgency in anything else as the source of your deepest joy. Notice I said deepest joy. We all have stuff to do. I get it. Lots of things. Things have to get done. But, and this was in the Isaiah text that I read, even these good things, or the parable that Jesus told, can't come to the banquet, I have this, this, this. Even these good things will sap satisfaction from your heart if they become the dominant reason for your daily life. So the promise from the psalmist isn't of a rejuvenated heart. It isn't to just anyone interested in God. He offers his promise to those who are satisfied in God. So the question arises, how can I know if that's me? I mean, in spite of what I sing in church, how can we know, how can I know I am finding this kind of satisfying relationship with God through Christ. Surely it's not a question to be skipped over. There is a way to diagnose and answer if we're honest enough. It's in John 6.35. Jesus, and he's speaking, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He satisfies, okay? takes away all the other hungers, who satisfies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So shall not hunger, shall never thirst. The truest level of where you are spiritually is found in what brings the deepest joy to your heart. And we would all say, well, God does. We know that's what we're supposed to say. Jesus said he came to fill the life in such a way that he wasn't just one of the things that brought pleasure and satisfaction, but he satisfied the life in such a way that there was no dominant desire for anything else. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. This is what true following of Jesus is. Competing hungers, lots to do for all of us, but competing hungers are not allowed dominance in the heart. 
this is not as the world might think because we have no interest in inward delight, but because we've found a deeper joy in the Lord and it can't be found anywhere else. The deepest hunger and the deepest thirst have found their rest. This is the test of the Godward heart in Jesus' parable. Is there still something else, some other attraction, keeping me from the banquet table of God, if you will? Make this, I think, make this a time question. Look at the hours of your day. By the banquet table of God. Remember Jesus come to the banquet and the reasons they couldn't? When I think of the banquet table, I'm thinking of a thriving devotional life. A passionate service, stewardship in God's kingdom. Lively involvement in the local church and worship. The banquet table in Jesus' parabolic language, it's a real thing. And the key point here, only the heart satisfied in God in these specific ways is going to know what the psalmist meant, who who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Only these people will know what Paul, when he says the outward life is a mess. (laughs) I'm a wreck. Remember, he writes some of his letters and he says, my eyes, I can hardly see when I'm writing. He says that. My outward life wasting away. Inward life is renewed day by day. How can I train my heart to be satisfied in God? Not too much left. 103.5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Pastor Don, here's my problem. I would be satisfied like the psalmist if God were filling up my life with good. Who satisfies you with good things so your youth is renewed like the eagle. He's not filling up my life with good. I'm disappointed in the cards he's dealing to me. How can my soul be renewed in the middle of this mess? How can I possibly change my outlook when I don't see good things coming from God right now? And I want to try and offer some help if that's where you find yourself as we close. The psalmist writes these words in Psalm 103, 1 to 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We know these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who, here's our text, who satisfies you with good, so your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, Notice the link between verse 5, our text, our one-verse text, satisfies you with good so your youth is renewed like the eagles. Notice how it's linked, verse 5, with verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. How can I train my heart to be satisfied in God when I'm in the middle of nothing but hardship? 
And what I want you to see as we wrap this up is this is what the psalmist is doing. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now he's going to give you the process, how this can happen for any person. And what he does is, he says, I, here is how I train my mind to be satisfied in God. Here's how I train my mind to be satisfied in God. So there's a process. And, and maybe this is the most important point tonight. The training process is like any other kind of training, which means you have to commit deeply to the spiritual pursuits that the psalmist writes about before you actually find delight in them. I sometimes wish I could scream it from the rooftops. You build the habit before you reach the goal. That's the way training works. An Olympic athlete is nowhere close to being ready to compete the first time she steps into the gym. She's going to the gym not because she is ready. She's going to the gym to get ready. You have no idea how many Christians don't understand this. You don't go to church regularly and frequently because you love going to church. You go to church regularly and frequently so you will come to love the church. The same with building your prayer life. You don't make your kids go to youth because they love going to youth. You make them go to youth so they'll come to love going to youth. And here's where you'll start to see this fuel for this inner youthful heart. The renewing of your youth, the psalmist says, is tied to your memory. If we forget the benefits, we will miss the rejuvenation, if I can use that word. Look at the verbs leading up to verse 5. They're who forgives, verse 3. Heals, verse 3. Redeems, verse 4. Crowns, verse 4. Renews, verse 5. Why are we told all this? I know it, but you see, my mind is dreadfully weak when it comes to remembering mercies. Amazingly, the same people who can remember a wedding anniversary that only rolls around once a year or a birthday that only comes one day in 365, they can remember those things and can't concentrate on the blessings received from God's hand. And I'll tell you why it's so. What makes the anniversary memorable, hopefully, is the fact that it doesn't happen very often. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. The Bible says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In other words, I never live one day without those things. That's both a blessing and a problem. It's a blessing because while our lives have been redeemed from destruction and crowned with loving kindness, it's a problem because regular blessings are always the most forgotten blessings. That's why the psalmist shows me how to train my heart to be satisfied in God. That's what we were talking about. How does that happen? And he says, I must, I must do two things. So do you. I must remember 
and I must praise. Just, just take the joy. Psalmist says we've been pardoned all our iniquities. We hear that so often. To be forgiven one sin is a great relief. If you've ever really wronged somebody, I mean really wronged somebody, and you know what it's like to have them come to you, put their arms around you and say, I forgive you. I mean, something serious. And you just feel, oh. right? That's being forgiven one sin. How much every church Think about this. We know what we're like inside. Every wrong you've ever committed before a holy and just God, every wrong in your whole life, inward in thought and disposition, every second you didn't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Every good deed that you left undone when you know the Lord was pressing you into it, not just for a week, for a month. Maybe you're here and you're 60 years old. For 60 years. And God says, I forgive every bit of it. Remember the angels that fell who sinned much like we? They were offered no pardon or forgiveness at all, as far as we know but you have been. I wonder if any of those thoughts were in the psalmist's mind when in this very psalm that we're studying tonight, he wrote these words. He's meditating, remembering. He does not deal with us according to our sins. And everyone said, everyone said, you're supposed to say, he does not deal with us according to our sins does not repay us according to our iniquities as high as the heavens are do you see how he's not just letting this go he wants to talk about it for a bit this forgiveness how special is it well as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him as far as the east is from the west how far is that that's how far he's removed all Don Horbin's transgressions. To forget this, to forget this, that's how spiritual old age happens in the life. Right there. And then thoughtful praise. I said, remember, praise. Psalm 61.3 says, To grant to those who mourn in Zion, give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And here's the phrase. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Tonight, after baptism, worship team will come out, lead us in singing. How much does it matter how engaged we are? Now, I can't, I've, I've said this and Tom knows. I can't sing about 60% of the songs we do. They're just out of my range. I'm baritone to a bass. And there's easy two-thirds of the songs I just can't sing. 
but I can still worship. How important is it? How important is the garment of praise in a Sunday night service like this, getting close to summer? How much does it matter? Well, here are the two options. You have the garment of praise or you can have a faint spirit. Take your pick. Here's how you train your heart to be satisfied in God. You remember his mercies. Not lightly, daily. Write down how blessed it is to receive these things. from And then praise who satisfies you with good things so that your youth, even if you're old and decrepit like I, your youth is renewed like the eagle. I want that. If that's what you want, let me see your hand. Good stuff.